I'm not always the best of examples. Sometimes I'd also like, like Jonah to watch my enemies get a little bit of smiting, just a little bit sometimes. But here, you know, he says, Lord, forgive them. That's really very powerful, compassionate uh, thing to say. And what does God do? He relents, right? What does that mean? How powerful is prayer? Welcome to the Christ Church Jerusalem podcast, where we seek to gain a better understanding of the Hebraic context of Scripture. We're delighted that you're joining us this week for our latest Bible study episode. Our aim is to equip our listeners to wrestle with and deepen their understanding of the Word of God with a unique perspective that we bring from Jerusalem. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to Christ Church and our evening Bible study. We're in the book of Amos, chapter 7. Uh, if you're listening in on the podcasts or reading our little notes online, uh, you're most welcome. It's great to have you part of our community, and uh, we'd like to keep in touch with you. So if you have not identified yourself, please shoot us an email so we can uh, uh, send you newsletters and updates of all the great stuff that we're doing here at Christchurch, including all the other studies uh, that we offer online. Uh, we've gathered here in the name of God, and so we want to bless him. We want to tell him how great he is, and we thank him for his word. So let's bow our hearts and our wills, and our brother David will, will pray us in. O sovereign Father in heaven, mighty God, Father, we thank you for this amazing privilege we have of gathering in your name and coming together with brothers and sisters in fellowship, Lord, to learn more of your word, Father, to absorb more of your word, and to learn what you are telling us tonight, Father. We ask you, Father, as we leave tonight after the Bible study, Lord, that we will go away richer in your word, Lord, knowing you on a deeper level, Father. We ask you, Father, to help us to grow even more in the knowledge of you tonight, Father. And Father, we ask you to open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, to learn from you, Father. Grant us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to perceive and minds to know and, and understand what you are showing us tonight, Father. We ask you, Father, to anoint Aaron afresh, to strengthen him, Father, and to bless him, Father, and to speak through him, Father, as he brings your word to us tonight, Father. We thank you for his wonderful faithfulness to you, and we bless him, and we thank you for tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Uh, as we've, this is our chapter seven. So in only a very, very brief summary, uh, some of the more poignant verses we've been looking at is the Lord is roaring from Zion. A very rare phraseology does occur in the book of Joel as well. The Lord roars, uh, sending a completely untrained uh, hero to go and deliver his word uh, to the northern kingdom a very affluent, a very wealthy, a very militarily strong, socioeconomically powerful, but unfortunately, as in chapter six is, has said, complacent and uh, idolatrous and uh, synchronistic in its traditions, uh, certainly not <clears throat> um, obeying the heart and the will of God. And of course, why would this wealthy nation even listen to this, this uh, uncultured upstart from the South. But perhaps some of them did. Now, there's not a, lot of, uh, not a lot of narrative in this text. Most of the book of Amos has been prophetic declarations. And uh, what we've been doing as we've been studying, we've been um, looking at some of the, the things Amos is saying and also applying them to our culture which has also become wealthy and secure and stable and strong, but also complacent and synchronistic. And uh, unfortunately, we don't want to listen to prophets anymore. Mm. And, uh, and yet it's the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we need to see what we can do as the people of God, listening uh, to the voice of God through his, through his prophet Amos. So we're in chapter 7. I'll read. Um, it, I'm reading just from an NIV, not because you know, that's my preferred version. It just happens to be the one I picked up uh, when I was uh, studying some other texts this morning. 
Uh, and so Amos chapter 7. So this is what the sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested. And just as the late crops were coming up, when they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. The Sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep and it devoured the land. And then I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the sovereign Lord said. And this is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I am setting a plumb, a plumb line among my people, Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed. The sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words. For this is what Amos is saying. <clears throat> Jeroboam will die by the sword and Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, get out, you seer, go back to the land of Judah, earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy any more at Bethel, because this is the king's sanctuary in the temple of the kingdom. Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd, and I also took care of sycamore trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. So now then, hear the word of the Lord. You say... Do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the descendants of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up and you yourself will die in a pagan country. And Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. Wow. Pretty, uh, pretty powerful stuff. <clears throat> All right. So Amos gets shown something. You know, this is his uh, vision experience. The Lord uh, 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 reveals um, uh, a piece of the future. And uh, the first thing that we see is we get this plague of locusts. Locusts are very familiar uh, trial and tribulation here in Israel, even in the modern day. Okay. All of the Middle East suffers from some of these, these, uh, these plagues sometimes. This one is a, a plague that occurs at a very special time. All right, Vida, David, you've got a hand raise. It's just a quick question. I know the locusts are, the, are physical locusts, but doesn't it also represent a lot of times armies when they talk about the locusts that swarm against Israel? Doesn't it also represent, like in Joel, it typically then infers it's an army? Right. Is, can you can you always typically do that switch when when the locust is used? It is true that uh, sometimes locust is used to, as a reference to army, and then obviously sometimes it's also used for the actual plague. So here you get this vision sequence, and you get something, and it's to deal with a harvest. So I'm I'm kind of going to go with the whole um, bug thing, but um, uh, the although. Later on, we are going to get uh, death by a sword. And it's not a ravaging army that's actually coming. It's the Lord himself, which is uh, 
probably even more frightful. But um, when does that? When does this plague arrive? So it's it's a, it's a, for some reason it's this. Um, there's this little bit where just uh, instead of just saying I saw Israel devastated with a plague of locusts and you all dried up, you got nothing to eat. What ends up happening is the timing is interesting. You get the king has already taken his share, right? So who doesn't care what happens, right? The elites, mm. right? The, the wealthy, they're already going to eat. They're always going to be able to eat. Who's not going to be able to eat, right? The poor people, the people themselves. And, and so, uh, uh, so what sort of effect do you think these kinds of words might have had on Israel. What do you think? Now let's let's just keep it in scenario. The scenario is Amos is prophesying to a very wealthy um, nation. They're doing well. They have not been invaded. They've actually been expanding their territory. Uh, uh, and uh, so they, they don't seem to have any reason to think that God doesn't like them. They've got their own prophets, right? There are schools of prophets in Bethel, and uh, in, in, in other areas of the, of, the, of the country, which we see in the book of Kings, yet God chooses not to talk through one of them. And we've made all kinds of references why. You know, they're, they're kind of sellouts. They're not, um, they're not doing the truth anymore. They're doing another form of, of religion. And, uh, and God chooses to, this, this non-prophet, this untrained fellow to come and speak incredible words to a community oh my gosh right what 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 would they what are they actually hearing do you think that any of these words have effect so a few people shaking their heads does anyone think any of this has an effect it's always a small remnant of people i know when when the ezekiel and jeremiah it's always it's always a very small remnant that, that's willing to to hear the words and obey Okay, so the remnant theology, there's always somebody that actually listens. Now, that's actually, if you think about it, quite a comforting thought. Think about it. Mm. Here we are, we have the truth, and our call is to proclaim the truth. And we proclaim the message of Yeshua, the message of Jesus as Redeemer, as Savior, as King, as Lord, etc., etc. And what does this world turn around and say? We don't want to hear it. That's, you know, how intolerant of you. You can't say those kinds of things, you know. And that might be 95%. But does everybody ignore the message? Because the church still grows. Does it not? So somebody is listening to the truth. Now, that's actually a comforting thought when you think about it. Sure. It's, not, it's not always easy because obviously when the majority are always yelling at you and always putting you down, it's very easy to become discouraged. It's very easy to say, you know what, Lord, why don't you just wipe these guys out? You know, uh, just get it done. Um, and like Jonah, I shall sit under a tree and I shall watch right? Um, as opposed to God saying, actually, I've got people inside this city that are mine. And, uh, and so I'm actually going to spare, spare the city. But judgment, of course, is calming. So is there anything in the text, do you think, that betrays that some people were actually listening in this chapter? I mean, obviously, this chapter is quite doom and gloom. We've got three visions, and they're all pretty terrible. Um, Okay, so I've got two hands. I shall honor the hands. Uh, Vida, David, you were first. Yeah, Aaron, I was not specifically referring to the text about viewers being awake. What I am aware of is that not long after this, the entire kingdom of Israel goes into captivity under, under Assyria, and there's literally none left. So if they did obey, are they going to be in captivity still because they still haven't come back, right? So that's my question there. Yeah, there might be a hint. And, uh... So are you referring to the 10 lost tribes idea? No, 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 not really. But look, the kingdom of Israel went into captivity first, right? Absolutely, yeah. Right, so is, 
where, where in here do we get an idea that maybe some of them left and went to Judah? We don't know. So, uh, yeah, other, other, other texts do say that. There are other references in Chronicles and Kings which refer to uh, migrations south. Okay, where tribes, portions of different tribes go, oh my gosh. Yet, and yet in the texture, uh, Amos is going to say, Lord, Israel is so small. He says it a couple of times, right? So, and the Lord relents a bit. So there's also a hint there that something good will come out of it in there. So. Yeah, there's still somebody who listens. I, I don't know if this is, this uh, phrase, how can, comparing Jacob to being small, is mm -hmm. he then referring to those who really are the true? Is that is that a remnant? No. Ah, is this the intercession, the intercession of Amos? Okay, we'll get to that because it's actually very, very interesting that he would do so, right? You know, there's Amos, who's not from the north, he's from the south. He's had everything against him and he's prophesying, you know, judgment and he's probably getting a lot of flack. And then when he sees a vision of destruction, Instead of going like Jonah, woohoo, about time Nineveh falls, he's actually moved with compassion. And you go, is that a lesson for me too? Like, interesting. Okay. But um, so here's the, here's the hint. Okay. So you get these vision sequences of the plague of locusts and the fire, and then a plumb line where God says, I'm going to measure you guys, okay, versus something that's straight. And guess what? Your walls are going to fall down. You're, you're not as good as you think. And then you get this narrative bit. There's a break in, uh, in all of the prophesying, you get a little chunk of narrative. And uh, you get this false priest of, uh, he could even have been a Kohen, I'm not 100% sure. Um, and he says to the king, Amos is raising a conspiracy. What's his problem? He thinks that Amos is actually having an effect. Okay? If, the, if, the, if, if Amos is just a nutcase walking around with an, the end is nigh sign on him, you know, walking up and down the street and no one's paying attention, no one cares. But instead, what we've got, we've got Amos standing on his little soapbox and somebody's paying attention so much so that the opposition says, okay, that's it. We've got to get rid of this guy. He's actually, it's getting a little dangerous here. People are actually starting to think, uh-oh, what actually is going on? Have we done the right thing? Let's have a little bit of, let's listen to this guy. And, uh, and so we get this, you know, it takes till chapter seven. Uh, we're going to need to, to silence him. Kate, what's your, you've got a hand raised? I do. I was looking at the, the. Um, I've been trying to use my study Bible a bit more because it gives you different um, versions of, 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 of the words. And it uses, instead of plumb line, it uses the word adamant. And the, sorry, instead of adamant, it, it says um, adamant means... Um, it's a stone of unbreakable substance, not a plumb line. It doesn't see that. It's Ephraim the Syrian writes that this stone is Christ set in the midst of the people. So he's saying it's not a plumb line, but a stone. I, I couldn't work that out. The, 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 the reference that you're referring to, Kate, um, is probably one of the church fathers. What was his name? Ephraim the Syrian. Okay, so he's a uh, 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 one of the he's one of the ascetic fathers, isn't he? Anyway, I could, could look him up. Um, but the point is, a lot of our forebears always looked for the Messiah in the Hebrew Bible, and why not? Absolutely, why not? And when you're thinking about what really measure is God going to measure people on, and uh, for for some people are like, oh, he's going to measure them according to the Torah, measure them according to their obedience to the Messiah, all kinds of things. So there's, there's no, like, you can see why um, the, the church fathers may have gone down that line, that the plumb line was Jesus. No problem there either. Uh, Velma? <laughs> uh, I was reading, I'm currently reading the book, The Man About Israel, and NFT actually about yeah. This chapter, unbelievable. And he says, God's plumb line is his perfect standard of righteousness. 
And I just thought that was lovely that he has this standard to which sin's measured against. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, we will always fall short of it, but we can repent of it. But these people won't repent of it. And that's the problem, if you know what I mean. But I thought it was a lovely description of it. His it is the standard of righteousness. Yeah. yeah. And the perfect standard would be, who was the perfect image? Messiah. The Messiah, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, you get this this image of um, doom and gloom. I'm 100% sure the people, most people in Israel would not have liked to hear it, particularly the elites, um, as they were the ones that are going to be spared from this. Um, and then what is the response of our prophet? Compassion. Isn't that incredible? Right? You know, here's a guy, people have been saying nasty things about him. He's not having fun at his job. Um, he was quite probably quite happy doing his uh, sheep tendering and sycamore um, tendering. We don't even hear about his family. The guy could have been married with kids. Okay. Um, but he's been given a, a, a prophetic call and he goes and does it. And then when he sees destruction on his northern, uh, the northern neighbors, which are his kin. But at the same time, they're also, you know, people whom God loves. Now, shouldn't that be our, our um, response to that uh, when, when people, you know, we shouldn't wish doom and gloom on our, on, on our enemies. In fact, we should have the same sort of compassion here. It's very hard. I'm not going to admit that I'm not always the best of examples. Sometimes I'd also like, like Jonah to watch my enemies get a little bit of smiting, just a little bit sometimes. Um, but, uh, but here, you know, he says, he says, Lord, forgive them. That's really very, 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 uh, very powerful, compassionate uh, thing to say. And, uh, and, and what does God do? He relents, right? What does that mean how powerful is prayer if if amos hadn't prayed this what would god have done like because uh, i've often not often i have these discussions just about nearly every day um on how powerful is prayer and can you change god's mind and of course, there's that big part of me that says, absolutely not. What are you, the human? You can't do anything. What are you talking about? And then you get to the next question. Well, why bother praying then? Mm. Uh, and then you see verses like this where you go, hang on. So the Lord relented. And it's a very interesting Hebrew word. I mean, it is the word to relent. Um, the word is nacham. Okay. Uh, from nachum, neum. Okay. Menachem. Uh, to comfort. So there is a an element, depending on obviously whether you read it in the which tense, but there's an element of comfort, relenting, of being comforted. Um, you know, God is 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 in some way comforted by the intercessions of this little sheep reader, and he says, "You know what? Wow, yeah, I shall delay judgment." So, what do you think, guys? Let's open it up to the floor here. I would love to hear uh, some discussions on, on, on the power of prayer. Okay, Aria is off first. Excellent, brother. How are you, mate? I'm just fine. I, I was only going to note that the, uh, the Nicham actually in this context means repent, or meaning God changed his mind, but that's before the plumb line exercise. Correct. Uh, the first two or three uh, oracles, God relents in, rel in response to Amos's intercession but this one this one he didn't it uh, it, ca it carried through god fulfilled his uh, his purpose now why do you think that the relenting came before the measuring of the standard what do you it... i i would uh, uh speculate perhaps but i think it's it's has a basis that as long as there was an audience that was listening and there was hope of change, God was open to relent. Ooh. But as, as scripture uh, in the New Testament especially tells us, at a certain point, uh, the, the business is closed. Ears and hearts are closed. And at that point, God, even Paul says in Thessalonians, God sends a deceiving spirit. He confirms and hardens hearts. 
at the point of no return. It's exactly what happened to Pharaoh at the eighth plague, up to up to the seventh through the seventh plague. Um, <clears throat> Pharaoh hardened his heart. You know, on the from the eighth plague on, God hardened his heart. There was no hope for Pharaoh after the seventh plague. Thanks for bringing that up, Ariye, because we've been studying the book of Exodus in our uh, Thursday live meeting, and that discussion came up. You know, the what does it mean for Pharaoh to harden his heart? And then all of a sudden the text saying, but God hardens his heart, and why would the Lord do such a thing? You know, surely he's not pushing people towards destruction. And then um, I remember being in, in your house one day and you, you mentioned a was it from Thessalonians? Colossians. Where was it? It's Thessalonians, isn't it? I quoted Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians. Yes, Second Thessalonians, where it says that God uh, uh, sends a spirit of, of deception to, to, to people who are already deceived, not to people who are not deceived. Okay. Right. They, they've perse persevered to the point where they are irretrievable. I believe it's what john calls a sin unto death okay yeah persevering and hardening of heart after a person crosses that uh rubicon there's no more hope and that's quite quite a warning isn't it so we were discussing it in the in the live chat we were saying you know if if this don't harden your heart don't keep going down that path because eventually you might get to the point where you can't come back and uh you know we're always saying oh everyone can get saved you know you can have deathbed conversions you know all that kinds of stuff. perhaps that's all true um but just be very very careful that you don't go down uh that line so much that god says okay um i get it i understand your rebellion i'm now going to help you um, if that's what you want um which is a bit bit sad but here the first two plagues you get this this idea of god relenting listening to prayer very powerful so therefore we can learn that intercessions are quite valuable it's like a, it's like a father warning his children is it like a father warning his children would be i mean um abraham intercedes with uh sodom and gomorrah and that's an interesting story because he never says my my nephew's in that town okay yeah so i so perhaps i wonder whether he actually liked his nephew or not but anyway that's another issue okay um uh that he does and, and moses intercedes very well okay for his people giving us a very nice picture of uh of intercessions and uh, the role of a, a messianic character all right a hand raised vida or david i think it's quite interesting this because you know as you as um Arie said in thessalonians but also in romans one it says send them strong delusions because they didn't believe the truth but the so we can see it's it's this partnership where, where God already knows what's going to happen and maybe even writes in Amos's heart to intercede, but Amos is definitely interceding, mm -hmm. which is God's heart for us because mm -hmm. as, um, as we know, Christ is a high priest always interceding for us constantly. So we, we it's just God's heart for us is that, that he was always seeking for a man and now we have Christ doing that for us on behalf of us. Which, which begs the question, if the Lord is now interceding for us and not a prophet, etc., where, is, how far do you go down this road of no return? That's what I'm saying. So it's, it's a hard question to answer. So. Yeah, and, and maybe, you know, we're not going to be able to answer it here, but it's like anything. It's in the text. We wrestle with it. Mm. And can we learn something? And can we take... The, the thing learning into our practical uh, uh, faith walk so that you and I are better disciples of Jesus tomorrow morning when we wake up. And uh, so, you know, we will look at these, these, um, these ancient words from Amos and uh, we can apply them to our world today, right? We've got a world here that's, you know, most of our countries that we are coming from represented here are powerful, reasonably secure and um and also in open rebellion to god okay and uh yep yeah going down the gurgler and uh and so you know who what voices um are still crying out and uh, are we joining those voices and are we are we moved with compassion like amos is where he says oh lord you know save england 
you know, save Canada, you know, you know save America, save Australia, bunch of pagans, you know, please look after the Czechs. And if you've got some spare time, the Brazilians as well, because they, um, but you know, you know what I mean? He's like, you know, um, South Africa is represented here. You know, it's like all these, all these nations that um, God loves for God so loved the world. Right? This is a beautiful thing. But anyway, the Lord relents and he initially says it's not going to happen, but then he gets to the measuring line and he actually does start measuring. And it's a different vision. Instead of being shown something else, like another object, like a fire or a, a plague. Uh, uh, what, is, what does Amos see? Something you probably shouldn't see. Like you put your, put your Jewish hats on here, guys. Hmm? <laughs> what, this is what he showed me in verse 7. He saw the Lord standing, right? He shouldn't be able to do that. Right? Humans can't see God. What does Jesus say? No man has seen God. So what are we, what's this sort of imagery? I mean, okay, it's a vision sequence. I get it. It's poetry, yes. Um, so it's, it's not that, you know, you sort of say, Amos, with my own eyes, I saw the Lord. Uh, <clears throat> oh, okay, we got a very interesting, we'll get back to this, okay? okay the, 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 we're going to go back to Amos seeing God, okay? Um, John Arnold, uh, as, as most of you know, um, uh, Deacon John. Um, he's a, been affectionately been dubbed the digital deacon because the guy goes around and can research anything on his computer. And look what he found. Okay. The plumb line that Ephraim the Syrian was probably referring to is coming out of the Septuagint. The Septuagint, for those that might not know, is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. It's the piece of Hebrew Bible or Old Testament that is quoted in the New Testament. Okay, the New Testament quotes Greek. Okay? Of course it does. It's a Greek text. Uh, the word is only found in Amos 7, uh, 7 to 8. So the Greeks translate it as Adamas. It's a very rare word in Greek, possibly borrowed from a Semitic word, which would be Adana, but that is um, a bit interesting because that would be more um, like dust. But anyway, um, and the word is used in Hesod's shield of Hercules. Um, yes, you can think about Captain America's shield there. Okay, before Captain America had a shield, Hercules had a shield, and um, and the and so the wall the translators are talking about is an unconquerable wall, and uh, this is comparison to all other walls that are about to be broken down. So they went with wall stone attack, you know, as opposed to um, measuring a wall and uh, being being measured against a standard. Okay, so that's um, that's so that sort of demonstrates how how um, Ephraim the Syrian um, got his uh, interpretation to say that rock that's smashing the wall. Okay, well that's definitely the Messiah, right? And then there are other other prophetic voices like in Daniel, you get rocks smashing the feet of the of the statue. There's you know rocks doing all kinds of things um, in the, in the text. So it wasn't a hard jump for Ephraim to, to go to the Messiah. All right, David or Vida. Aaron, I'm coming back to your verse seven, the Lord standing with a plumb line. Now, this is a question. Can we equate this to the Lord, our Messiah with a winnowing fork? Judgment. Okay. Is it possible? That's what I'm, I'm asking, is it possible we could do that? Well, is I would. My initial reaction is, of course, yes, because of this whole passage is a, is a judgment sort of scene. I was thinking of the plumb line more of uh, this is my standard, this is those who follow me, this is those who don't, literally in the context of the chapter and with what Lord Jesus was saying. I yeah. may be stretching it a bit far, but uh, I, I wonder if there is a connection. Probably. It, su it suggests to me that um, God is lining this plumb line um, on an existing wall. And whereas the wall was built to a plumb line, God seems to be saying it's not good enough. Here's my plumb line. Yep. And as and we know, even metaphorically speaking, that the walls, all the walls in Israel and, and in Jerusalem eventually were destroyed and rebuilt. Yeah. And uh, I take from this personally as a little bit of a kind of a homily that uh, what you've done in the past may have been your best shot at straight, but it's not good enough. 
<laughs> it, 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 it needs to be reworked and it's a continuous work in progress. Yes. Yeah. No, thank you, Aria. That's great. Yeah, where you, you're constantly measuring, you know, by the standard of righteousness, you're looking at your, your deeds and your history and your future and measuring yourself and going, well, I, I can, I've got to do better, which is a good thing. My gosh, that's a good thing. And, um, and it doesn't have to be done alone. Okay, that's one of the things that uh, I think we, we've got to always remember, particularly with Paul, don't give up the habit of meeting together. We're, we're saved into a community. So we get to measure ourselves, each other, encourage each other, repair each other, etc. intercede with compassion for each other, uh, uh, but and, and not as individuals. All right, very good. Um, where was I? Someone remind me. No, no, I'm not in chapter 10. There is no chapter 10. Um, oh, yes. He's looking at somebody, right? So, of course, if um, once you have a reference to um, uh, God doing things like standing and talking and people seeing him, what do people automatically jump to? Theophanies, okay? Or um, there's, there's no need to do that. It's fine if you want to do that. But it's, a, it's very prophetic language. But you do have this, this idea that, um, that uh, Amos actually sees something and he can relate to it. And the way he relates to it is um, a person standing, there are walls, there are things that are in his hand. Okay, and, uh, and then the Lord. And here it's, it's, it's God's name. Okay, it's yud hey vav hey and, uh, and he asks Amos, what do you see, Amos? In this vision sequence, then God knows how to appear to humans. Okay, he's been able to do it ever since Genesis. He knows how to talk. He knows how to, to hold things. And, um, and then God says, um, I've listened. We actually, in, 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 in uh, Janet, Janet put a, a chat in there saying, is there a timeline between these visions? Probably, we're not sure if there's a gap between vision one, two, or, or three. They're, they're put together in our text. And so we're not sure how much time for God to be compassionate, to be relenting, to have the ability to, to accept repentance um, in between before his, his actual bringing on of wrath. Um, but eventually he does measure. And eventually he says, okay, I have measured and, and the judgment's coming now. And here's what's going to happen. So uh, high places of Isaac will be destroyed and the sanctuaries of Israel. And that's an interesting phrase. It's very rare that Israel gets called Isaac. Um, very rare. Um, when, we think of, when we think of Isaac, what do you think of? If someone says the word Isaac, what do you jump to? What's the first thing that jumps into your head? sacrifice yeah isn't that interesting yes because remember the bible was was heard more than it was read so as people were hearing you know the high places of yitzhak and of course you hear the word isaac and you think oh the akida oh sacrifice oh so the high places the these these places where people are doing and engaging in ritual sacrifice and some of them may have even been thinking they were sacrificing to god but there was a lot of um a syncretism going on so there was probably some other false idolatry engaged as well and the sanctuaries of israel these are all plural there was only supposed to be one sanctuary of israel you know where that was okay so people were were, were creating these counterfeit religions which if we look in our world today i bet we could all point the finger at a counterfeit religion um and probably several thereof and uh, so the, this, it seems that after 3,000 years, we have really haven't learned very much. Uh, this is a bit sad. But, um, so these words of the words of, of the roar of the, of, of the lion are very applicable to today. And I don't think we can be silent. I don't think we, need to, we can read these texts and say, well, I'll just sit and watch. We need to intercede for our nations. And, uh, and hope that um, we're not quite up to the plumb line yet. Okay. And, uh, and God brings a sword. It's not always um, a comfortable thing to think about. Um, with, uh, I've been talking with my parents about 
you know, some friends that uh, we have in Australia who, who just refuse to believe that God does anything bad. Right? You know, my, my, you know with using phrases like, well, my God wouldn't do that. And um, so what does that imply? <laughs> it implies that their God's not the God of the Bible. Yeah. Right? Like Jacob, it's the God of Abraham and Isaac, not his God yet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're, 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 you're making God in my image, mm. as opposed to allowing my image to be the image of God on, on the earth. And, uh, and so, you know, God is a consuming fire, as well as love. Yes, yes, yes. We must preach both. We, oh, we, we have to, we have to, we have to say he is love. He's full of love. He's full of compassion. Uh, and he relents. And he blesses, you know, to, to generations. But he's also, he's also got a plumb line. He's also got some standards. He's also uh, a God that says, you know, I tolerate, but only to this point. And um, so there's your warning. And, um, and it's God who has his sword. And, uh, and I guess it's, it's reflected in what we see in the Exodus that we, we, had, we had done. It was, it was God who went through Egypt, right? And he says, I will pass through Egypt. I'm not sending somebody else and I'm going to do it. I've had enough, right? And so I'm coming to challenge. And, uh, and, and so, you know, sometimes Revelation is a book you need to pick up every now and again. Not that I suggest we study it next. No, no, no. And, uh, and, and you go, you know, there's, there's bowls and seals and things. And, um, and, and we need to, to know that they're on their way. All right, so God has a standard. It's a standard of righteousness. It's reflected in the life and teachings of the Messiah. You see it in, in the heart of the Torah or the, the spirit of the, of, the, of the law, the way we're, we're you know, told to love our neighbor and, uh, and set the captives free, et cetera, et cetera. You can see all of that. And then um, so Amos is preaching away, and then all of a sudden you get the, the, the into the narrative. Very rare for the prophet. Other, other prophets do the same, but um, it's very rare for Amos. Uh, Amaziah, the one of the priests of Bethel, or the priest of Bethel, probably the what they would have called a Kohen Gadol, although he's not called that here. He's just a, a priest. <clears throat> um, he writes to the king just to complain about uh, about Amos. So Amos must have been having an effect. It was a good thing, right? Might not have seen it. Amos might not have known what effect he was having. He might have gone through his um, little career going, well, this just isn't working. Why would I bother to do that? And sometimes in our ministries, we don't always see fruit immediately, do we? You work really hard. You're diligently attempting to reach people or change your little spot uh, of, of, of the world. Um, and it doesn't always look like you're having an effect. And yet, the way to know when you're having an effect is when your opponents tell you to shut up. Okay? So when, <laughs> when you've been told by, the, by somebody, you know, I'm really tired of listening to you, then you can go, ah, good, great. No, I had an effect. Okay, not a very positive one, I see, but at least something's actually happening. And um, as and and somebody gets through, you know, the the kingdom continues to expand. People actually uh, are are saved and, and want to join this movement. And so we shouldn't we shouldn't lose hope at all in this. Um, so Jeroboam, I think he was like Jeroboam the second by this stage. Okay, he gets uh, he gets challenged by Amos. A sort of very reminiscent of you know John the Baptist's preaching as well, right? To, to various broods of vipers and wicked people. So Jeroboam, who's living comfortably in his palace, has got nothing to fear with a nice big strong army and economy. He's going to die, and Israel's going to go into exile, away from its native land, which is exactly happened unfortunately so it, it, it does refer that uh, the preaching of Amos didn't perhaps have the effect that uh, that it wanted so do we remember the difference between prophecy and apocalypse from our previous discussions what's the prophetic warning prophetic warning means you can change your behavior right 
right? Because so here in, in Amos, the people don't change and the judgment comes true. We're taken into exile. In Jonah, the people do repent. They actually physically do take the warning quite seriously and the judgment is deferred. So prophecies doesn't mean that, okay, I've heard the word of the Lord and it's absolutely no way to change. But there is a, another part of the prophetic uh, voice, sort of apocalyptic style, where God just says, there's no change, right? There is, there's no repent. This is just actually physically going to happen. And this is what we're getting here, right? You're going to die and you're going in, into exile. And uh, then we really get stuck into the priest too. Very personal, I might add. Okay. Um, so uh, we, we really get stuck into his family. One, kill off all his kids and then turn his wife into a prostitute. Probably not the nicest thing to hear for himself, but um, very personal. Uh, did you have a hand raised there, Vida or David? Vida, oh. yeah. Um, I was just going to say, Aaron, that it's very interesting what you were just speaking about now with prophesying and all that, because it, it's, um, if, I, if I go back to Samuel, and I think somewhere we're going to come on to it. Sorry, I'm jumping a little bit ahead in what you're going to say. Because he says, don't let these words fall to the ground. But it, it goes into where I think Samuel, the Lord said to Samuel, that he wouldn't let any of his words fall to the ground. And um, with, with regard to this prophesying and interceding, there's a time when the Lord says, don't intercede. It's not just that we can't. Sometimes he just tells the people, do not cry out for this people. I think it's in Jeremiah. He says, don't cry for this people. He does so, in Jeremiah. He says, I'm not going to listen. Isn't that hard? Yeah, not listen. Yeah. So again, so it's maybe to me, even prophecy and prophesy, which, which I hear what she's saying, but sometimes I think we can still at least, you know, intercede on behalf of God. Like we know revelations coming. We know the Antichrist coming. We can't stop that. But, you know, we can still cry out for people to be saved. Even if God has drawn a line, we can still do that. Even if God turns around and says, look, I'd rather just, I'm not going to listen anymore. It's better to try that in my mind. Yeah, I, I know. I, I, I don't think I've ever heard um, uh, heaven say, Aaron, stop. You know, I, I haven't heard that. I've, you know, I've only ever read the text and thought, okay, I've got, please, Lord, be merciful. Please, Lord, give us more time. Please, Lord, you know, let Uncle John come to faith, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, these kinds of intercessions. Um, yeah, I haven't heard, I haven't heard God say, I think that's pretty, pretty drastic of the Lord to say it. He has said it in the past and he'll say it in the future, right? Uh, eventually, you know, when history is ready to roll up um, and God will say, okay, it's done. There's, there's no more time. The spirit of delusion is now running around the world. Pretty sad. But anyway, we are um, like, what does what the Hebrew say? You know, it's still today. Today, if you hear his voice, then don't harden your heart. So the day of redemption can be and should be today. Um, so Amaziah gets a, a rather um, tough voice. So uh, has anyone here ever been so bold as to say something like that um, to one of their uh, opponents who you may have been having a religious argument about i'm going to admit that no i haven't quite said it like that okay but uh but if you if you have a direct question somebody comes up and says am i going to hell if i don't come to lord jesus what is your response you have to say uh, yeah yeah that's, that's a that's a like when, when it's my yes no you know I always like to say, is that a yes, no question? Or can I give a, give a bit of background to that statement? <laughs> you know, yeah, it's uh, but because um, what I don't want to do is I don't want people to walk away going, oh, Aaron says I don't have to believe in Jesus. It's fine. You know, oh, okay. it's, yeah, it's like, ah, I've got to make sure that, uh, you know, I've, I've nuanced my, my response. Um, but, but does this then go to uh, uh, Jude, where he says, some you rescue by fire, some with gentleness, because uh, mm. testimony case, in, in, in person, I know of this specific thing happening, and within two or three years, that same person got so agitated with it, they came to the Lord. So mm. 
I, I think I think it, it requires a lot of discernment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let, let's also in, in, in terms of like the way we share our faith and act out our faith and the way people come to the Lord, everybody represented here, all 31 of us, I bet every single one of us came to the Lord slightly differently. Right. And there was a different, different way, a different call, a different moment, a different revelation. Um, and it was all good because obviously we're all together in the kingdom of heaven. Um, and then we've all got different gifts. And so our ability to also present the gospel is always going to be slightly different. Some of us will do it a little bit more, perhaps academically. Some of us will do it a bit more with a challenge. Some of us, okay, actually will share the gospel so gently and so quietly and so humbly that people won't even notice that they're actually getting the gospel, except to turn around and say, I want what you've got because uh, there's something very special about you. And I don't know what it is, but I can't stop thinking about it. And, uh, and so there's that, there's that, um, that in there too. So, uh, yeah, but for Amos and Amaziah, they, they go at each other. Okay. So um, Amos has, is, is, uh, he might be a little shepherd boy. Okay. He's probably learned to swear like a trooper and all kinds of stuff too. Okay. He's um, especially if you're hanging around sheep all day, uh, you, you may have developed some colorful language and uh he took it to task uh on this priest and um and so um amaziah says you know get out go away go back to judah you know we're the north you're the south you know go away you're you're not you're not actually one of us earn your bread there do your prophesying there. so what uh what's going on why would he say such a thing? What, what actually is supposed to happen to prophets? You pay them, right? Okay, so the prophet comes along to your town or to your village, to your community. He's going to prophesy and at the end of his prophecy or whatever. He's supposed to receive something. Yeah. Can I give an example about it? Yeah, please. When Shaul lost his ships, right? His servant says, let's go to this city. There is a seer, a prophet. And he says, I don't have anything to give to him. And he says, I have some silver shekels in me. So they go and give it to Shmuel, you know. That's a good, good, good point. Yeah, there you go. Yep, you're, you're, um, I've often heard the phrase, Ein kemach ein Torah. You heard this expression? Anyone? <laughs> <laughs> okay. it's, it's not in Would the Bible. Make, make okay, it's not in the Bible. Christchurch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, but but it's a it's a discussion that sort of which is well, it's not in the Bible. Okay, in terms of that way, but um, but it it was the it was a known thing that servants of the Lord, just like you see, see we saw in Leviticus. Okay, priests got a share of of the sacrifice. That's how they got paid. They even got to keep the skins, right? You know, we we keep the skin, we can sell it, we can make clothing, and do that kind of stuff. Um, Paul says, you know, I, I, you, I could have, you could have demanded your payment, but I didn't, I didn't want to burden anybody. But, um, and so that it, this sort of tradition of, um, of, uh, Torah means without flour, there's no Torah without, if you don't pay, you don't get type, type idea, pay your pastor. Well, we have, we have, we also have many examples in the new Testament, right? There was this lady, mother of some uh, close disciples that financially supported Jesus, and also this uh, person and his wife sold their properties. And okay, they lied to the apostles, but the, there was a tradition to come and finance, financially support the teacher you are benefiting from. Correct. That is, yes. You, yeah. Uh, that's normally what you're supposed to do. Yep. And uh, so Amaziah says, you know, uh, go away because, you know, get your bread from somewhere else, implying and probably actually was happening that even though Amos might have been coming and saying some very nasty things to Israel, somebody was providing for him. Somebody might have been saying, um, you know, um, you're a bit of a schmuck, but, uh, you know, here's a muffin. OK, um, but uh, I'm really not going to uh, repent, but my my wife's just cooked a steak so you can have that. Um, that, but, he, but there could have been those that were part of the community that were saying, wow, you know, you've really impacted me. Um, I've actually realized that this is an idol and I really shouldn't be doing this. 
um, please come and stay in my house. You know, please come and fellowship with me. Please come and teach me a little bit more, and I'll gather some friends and see if we can get a little a little study going. Um, so uh, Amos is uh, told to to get out of town, and um, he's not going to get get any any payment anymore. Um, don't prophesy. Don't say don't say things. Why? Like not because. What you're saying is uh, untrue, or what you're saying is a lie. You know, it, it's a, these are worldly answers. Don't say this because this is the king's sanctuary. This is the and um, and and how how the gospel has been twisted to you can't say that because that's not nice, right? You know, um, that, that that's the where where we're at in the world, right? You know, where um. Uh, you know, we we you can't say that in the Bible anymore because that's not inclusive. We're all inclusive, and um, and so the 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 zeitgeist, the the world view, the 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 way the world is is being superimposed uh, on the, on the text or the message of the of the Bible. And here, you know, his uh, cry was, "You can't be here because you know you're just a schmuck, and this is the king's sanctuary." So. There you go. Only the king can can say the truth around here, and none of that actually is is true. And so then Amos replies, um, very uh, very strong. But he he initially um, in his in his answer his initial answer he starts by being quite humble. Doesn't go and big note himself and say, "Look, I'm a prophet." So. Just listen, okay. Uh, he starts off by, "Oh, look, I'm. Oh, you're right. You know, I wasn't a prophet. I'm not even the son of a prophet. You're absolutely right. My genealogy is quite fundamentally flawed. I get it. Um, uh, this is who really I am. I'm a shepherd. And uh, and when you hear the word shepherd, that's also a loaded term, like Isaac. When you hear the word shepherd, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Who were the shepherds of Israel?" All the, yeah, all the all the first kings like whenever we have sukkot right the tradition is let's build a sukkah and what who was supposed to come and visit us the shepherds of israel if you wanted if you wanted to be a leader of israel then the initial quality was um was compassion shepherd you had to knew how to care for people you knew how to guide lead defend nurture find sustenance yes, really all these really good good qualities and then of course that was given over to god who was the best of shepherds right the lord is my shepherd he's going to be the good shepherd uh etc etc and 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 uh, as part of his answer you're right i'm none of these guys that uh, you've got you've got whole schools full of prophets but none of them are shepherds so he amos this poor shepherd as uh um uh we're, we're also reflected in the chat um that the the nativity scene angels also appear to shepherds that the the lamb of god the king of kings the good shepherd is is also attended by shepherds and um and May so, I who was up uh, it was me can i add something yep you know there are there are these things that amos is talking about no i'm not a son of a prophet and this kind of thing so if you look at, I mean, I don't know if you already thought about it or talked about it. But you know, when Jesus goes to this shul, a synagogue, and talks about it, and then people kind of humiliate him by saying, he's seen up the cup on their son. So certainly in Judaism, at that time and now, also to this day, we have this kind of father-to-son uh, generation uh, passing, uh, you know, I wouldn't say like maybe we don't have any more prophets, but let's say like rabbis. You know, if you're a rabbi, then your father should be a rabbi. If your father is not a rabbi, so they they always looking for a reason not to listen. And they, he was also struggling. You know, in this book, you see uh, people really don't listen to him. Uh, but at the same time, the Am Israel is also well known for not listening to prophets. But here he he is just talking about it. I'm not a son of a prophet. It's just just uh, kind of hurts, you know. Yeah, yeah, and you're right. The, the the modern Judaism is rather dynastic, um, and it was never actually meant to be that way. Um, 
like if you read in the uh, the the early Mishnas and things like that, the all the early rabbis obviously they, they came from very very varied backgrounds. They were they weren't it wasn't a father something, but yep, they were looking for an excuse not to listen. Okay, so the the final the final part of this chapter, okay, it does it it it's pretty solid. It's a declaration of uh, looming captivity, and um, and uh, and so what would have been the response? Well, the majority of the response was, of course, as we know, they didn't listen. Okay, but obviously some people did, because you do get texts in um, in sacred history that refer to northern tribes migrating south. So uh, and so at the they and that swelled the southern communities so that Jerusalem, which in archaeology wasn't always a very big city, actually swells during the times of uh, places like uh, reigns of Hezekiah, where they actually have to build um, better walls and uh, better fortifications because there's just now so many people. And in the New Testament, of course. Uh, you've often heard me say, who's our famous, famous prophetess who comes from a northern tribe, which was carted away and shouldn't be in existence, and she definitely is. Anna, from the tribe of Asher, okay, which is up near uh, Lebanon, okay, so if you want to go to Rosh Nikra or Nahariya or places like that uh, and retire, then there's a northern tribe, they should have all been gone, but somehow some of them migrated south, some of them actually listened. And, uh, and knew that we probably shouldn't be hanging around up here. It's not good for your spiritual health and or physical health. Um, plus, uh, also, when the invasion did start, then, of course, it's not a Panzer Blitzkrieg around here. Um, it, uh, people run away from invading armies. So if the invading army comes from the north, then, of course, everybody runs south. But having said that, it's still, it's still the land uh, is taken. And it sets up. Um, actually a large section of the New Testament, the world and history of the New Testament, because um, the Galilee, which was once all, all uh, Jewish, gets repopulated. And later on, it's known as the Galilee of the Gentiles. Gentiles. You know where they all come from. Okay? They're um, unfortunately a result or a product uh, of this. And, uh, and so you end up with a very mixed uh, environment where our Lord decided to start his uh, ministry uh, thing. Uh, the light, yes, was to the house of Israel, but it never, ever, ever was ever to be kept by that. It was actually always meant to be to, to the... So knowing that even if only a small portion of people will get saved, what should be our response? What should be our response to these words? What do you think? What should, what should be our response to the roar of God? Uh, in our modern day, let's not keep Amos relegated two and a half thousand years ago. Uh, let's apply him today. Listen up and obey. Yes. Listen, obey. Yes, absolutely. And pray. 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 Yeah, pray. My my parents are intercessors here, so it's intercede. Lord, please relent. Please give us a a little bit more time to uh, get the gospel out and and uh, and, and try to be a doer. You know, it, because if you just talk about something or say, you know, I believe in this and God help me to do that, help me do that. The moment you start doing it, God transforms your life. It's also a, a good uh, rabbinic teaching. The moment, you know, you, you, you start doing the things that God wants you to do, your life is being transformed. That's mm -hmm. why, you know, in the book of James, we see, we, he was always talking about doing this stuff you know i mean that's what i see in my personal life that there are millions of people who really know the word of god before there was it wasn't possible you know lack of publications lack of you know the number of the books today we have everything we need we have internet we have books we have good teachers we have good podcasts zoom calls we listen we listen we say amen hallelujah that's great then nothing mostly nothing so yeah. we should be sure, and at that moment our lives will start changing 
and by our change, other people's life will be changing as well. Amen. Amen. And what Amos is teaching us is, as we already see in the world, most of them aren't going to listen. But that's not the point. The point is when you know, you know, on one level, yes, I'd love to save all of Australia. Wouldn't that be nice? Okay. Um, the VTech would love to save all of Czech. Okay. Uh, Lisa would love to see Sweden all come to faith. Um, but even if only one person came to faith, is that enough? Is, isn't that isn't that person just of infinite value to the Lord? The answer is yes, of course mm -hmm. it is. So let's we don't need to listen to the majority of the voice. They're wrong. Okay, let's uh, let's listen to the Lord roar and uh, let's just save one person, and then when that's done, we might we might save another one. And you know that that sort of, that sort of tactic uh, uh, is I think the way we should it should be part of our response. Do pray tell the truth, don't give up, and, and know that the just like the prophets of old, you're going to get opposition. Wow, great. Guys, thank you very much for our study. Um, I'm going to stop the recording, stay on and keep chatting.